Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events, the awesome events organizer here in the UAE that bring people like Tony Robbins into here. And you've seen them all before anyway. I won't babble on about that. Today, we have an incredible young entrepreneur from Ireland. His name is Richard Fitzgerald. Now, you might recognize his face as he's sat here next to me, but do you realize what he's done over the course of the last few years since he started his business up here? He's the CEO of Augustus, and let's just cue the music and dive deep into learning about this guy, what he's done, how he's done it, and how impressive he really is. So Richard, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Spencer. Nice to have you on the show. Now, do you like to be called Richard or Rich or Dicky or what is it? Uh, I don't mind. I can, people call me Fitzy. People call me what, Was that your nickname at school? Yeah. Fitzy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the only main one. But actually, funny question, because I used to, over the years, I used to sign off my emails as Rich, even though it was Richard and people, and I had friends called Richie and stuff like that. So I was known as Richard, really, amongst friends or Fitzy. But then... When kind of Love in Dubai started, it was almost like a persona, Rich from Love in Dubai, because I, I changed my email to Rich at Love in Dubai, and, and it was just, it was Rich from Love in Dubai per se, and I, I was changing into a new business and a new role, and I was a, an editor and a journalist, which so I kind of like parked that with that name but now it's rich for most people and i accept it and i've moved away from that now. you got over yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> so for those people who don't understand uh, much about you what you've done and where you've come from give us a bit of a two-minute story of you came across from ireland what yeah. happened when you got here why you did it and etc okay so uh, yeah so I, I grew up in uh 1980s in ireland uh i went to university in dublin ucd i studied economics in german i want to be a football coach and I tried to did FAI badges as soon as I realized I wasn't going to be a football player. But I think around that time, I was working with some coaches and I just felt that football wasn't the exciting world that almost TV sold you in terms of uh, learning and, and career. So I kind of, university kind of moved me towards other things. And I was reading articles about digital media around 2005, 2006, and I got into advertising. Uh, and I got really passionate about it. I did extra courses. I worked for a big digital agency in Ireland. Uh, social media was taken off, but no one in Ireland was ready or interested. I got into We Are Social, 20th employee at We Are Social in London in December 2009. Uh, worked on the Olympics, all that sort of stuff. And I was really ambitious, really wanted to grow in the career. I was working with WPP agency. And uh, a month before the Olympics happened in London, uh, in, in June 2012, I got on the plane over here. I got a job to set up the regional social media department for Mindshare, uh, a media agency. And it was career driven. It was, uh, I'd never been to, I think I passed through Abu Dhabi, but I'd never been here. And I remember my, my bosses at the time in London were 10, 15 years older than me. It was, I was 28. And uh, I was living in Shoreditch, I had a fixed gear bike, I was enjoying, <laughs> you know, cheap beers and media parties. And uh, I loved it. And I, but, uh, you know, like I just saw maybe the next 10 years there of, you know, the, the kind of trendy t-shirts not fitting as well and going to the same trendy bars and stuff and kind of bags on your eyes and that type of thing and kind of went, went well, actually, well, why don't I try this opportunity? And it was amazing. Uh, so that's how I ended up here. Irish people have a wanderlust. 
Yeah. And so I think you guys, then the Kiwis and the South Africans and stuff like that, you have the ability to settle, I think, a little bit easier overseas than some other nationalities. Do you think so? Well, there's an Irish pub in every town in That's, the world, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, true. That's... So it almost, it almost feels like that. Do you feel that or not? Um, I, I personally, I don't identify with that part of Irishness, like as the settling. I think a lot of Irish people, I don't call Ireland home. You know, I, I don't think I'm an expat. I, I think I'm an immigrant and I like it. And uh, here's home. And I don't go to Irish pubs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I can imagine you don't. <laughs> <I'm being sarcastic>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, but like, I know, I think, um, and also I don't, like, I don't really, personally, irrespective of nationality, Wanderlust alludes to travel and discovery, and it's not really for me. It doesn't, you know, uh, some sport is of an interest, travel isn't, per se, um, massively. So how did, you, you moved over here, so this was the first time you lived overseas? I lived in Germany for a year, June Erasmus, June. Uh, okay. I lived in London, which was overseas for me, uh, for being from Ireland. And you've been here seven years? Yeah. And so you came here, you had an opportunity to take a role in a company. How then did the entrepreneurial journey start for you? I think there's two ways of kind of answering that. Like, I think entrepreneurial, I was setting up, I was doing P&Ls, I was setting up a department, I was persuading upwards, I was building all that out. In advertising, people often say that you can do it for 10 years and you set up your own agency and you try and do the whole M&A thing and stuff like that. That's kind of a step. But uh, I often try to find a partner to set up a social media agency. Even here in Dubai, I, I even spoke to an investor and the, the feedback was, oh, he'll never be ready. And I, I didn't feel I was ready because I didn't feel I had anything new to offer. And I realized that you don't even need anything new to offer, that what you're doing is good enough. Even now, I don't feel like an entrepreneur. I feel like I have a job, you know. And so I, I um, but I did step into it. The, the stepping stone was after three years, three and a half years at Mindshare. Uh, it was amazing. You know, we, I set up a regional social media hub in Beirut, hired 30 trilingual graduates, uh, offer service Mindshare had four or 500 clients across 12 countries. Uh, so everywhere from, yeah, North Africa to Iraq, did things like that. And we set up the social media pages and we developed a new revenue stream. It was really interesting. Um, and then I kind of, um, I was, you know, given a kind of a leadership role. I was kind of, uh, I, I was the director. I got promoted to regional director. And it was virtually like an MD of a business unit in a company with 12 MDs in other offices who'd all uh, very res respectable media personalities in their markets. And, but they were TV planners and things like that. And um, I was trying to bring this new thing to the table and it was successful and they were happy and they liked the numbers, the, the CEOs and the CFOs. Uh, and about that time, the guy who was working with me in London over here to set up digital here, uh, he left. And then a new uh, guy came over from the US uh, and he became a bit of a mentor very quickly. Uh, he got me into paleo. We were traveling across the region together, spent six months of knowing how to order in restaurants and things like that. Um, Nicholas, South African originally, and he um, he left then and back to America. He couldn't deal in this region. I, I didn't like it. And uh, then I was going down to Beirut to let go of a staff member. And I was kind of like, I made some mistakes, some leadership mistakes uh, that I can only see in hindsight. Um, you know, I was young for doing that type of role and I probably made some mistakes and I probably 
it, it was difficult for me to deal with certain conflict situations and things like that, even though I had been taught it well in other companies. Uh, but and then I kind of almost wanted another challenge. And there was we were working with a, a pretty cool software company at the time. They were one of our suppliers. Uh, and I messaged him on the way back from a flight of, you know, having to let, make someone redundant or let someone go. And I said, here's what I would do as MD of your company. And then he brought me into the boards and that, that just happened. And in, in kind of June, July, August 2015, um, I had three months leave to see out. And a friend of mine had set up Love in Dublin uh, in Ireland as a kind of 2012 blog. I brought him over here as a speaker. Uh, and I kind of kept in touch with him. I almost set up a social media agency with him in Ireland in 2009. Uh, but I was a bit too shy to kind of, for, in my agency, I wasn't even confident with clients at the time. So I kind of chickened and moved to London instead. Um, and uh, then um, basically I said to him, I like what you're doing with Lovin, Dublin. What What's the plan? And he said, well, I was just talking about this with MD. What about a franchise? So I wrote a, area developer franchise agreement in July 2015. And over that month of, uh, what do you call it, like the, the notice period, uh, we launched on the 1st of September in 2015 uh, in Labs. I was working across the road as MD of a social startup uh, with a guy, a really creative guy who'd raised a good bit of money for this. And it was very tech focused and it was kind of a SaaS model. Um, and then and the evenings and the weekends, I was going over to a hardened editor and a junior salesperson, and I was trying to get Love in Dubai going. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it. It was kind of, without admitting to be an entrepreneur, it was kind of two jobs at once. Describe to me, and for everybody listening to this, the difference between each of the companies within your brands. So you've got Augustus, which is your holding company, Love in Dubai, Love in Saudi, were they the yeah. same type of thing? Yeah, so basically what I kind of realized is to... The Augustus wants to be the biggest media company in the Middle East. We want our vision is to establish and maintain a new order of media advertising. I, li I like I like where advertising is, but as every medium came on board over 150 years, from print to radio to TV to out of home, there was just an extra line item on the media plans, and there was an extra agency roster each time, and no one's really kind of figured it out. Like Facebook have done a great job at disrupting it, and Google have. But there's a kind of, um, it's a bit messy, right? And that's fine, it's service industry and you can be creative within it. But we would like to, like the way Hewlett-Packard have decent visions and things like that, we would like to keep looking at that space and looking at the content side of uh, creativity. So uh, Augustus wants to do that. Mission to be the new media company of choice in the Middle East. That means we would like uh, mass audience uh, to choose our brands. And how we do that is uh, in, in different ways. So that's Augustus Media Holding. Underneath that, we've got Love, uh, two main brands, Love and Dubai, Love and Saudi, and Smashy TV. And underneath that, we have Odium, which is a content studio. So very much set up like Group 9 Media in the US or Jungle Creations in the UK or Lab Bible. They all have brand shops as well, white label offering of what they do on another revenue stream. Um, on the bigger picture, you know, look at how kind of News Corp was set up or how other of these entities or even how the very successful entities in this uh, country like w, uh, ITP and um, MediaQuest and Motivate. And on one level, it's like that. Um, how we differentiate the brands, 
many companies like magazines would have vertical based brands like mm. automotive and lifestyle and beauty and things like that. And other people then try and do passion based stuff. We kind of follow that passion, but we, we call it mindset led brands. And that wasn't really what was offered by Lovin. Lovin was really food and stuff. But as the kind of group, as the founder left at that level and the franchise disintegrated and we kind of took more control over here, we, we said, well, well, what does it mean under Augustus and what does Lovin actually mean? And we decided that Lovin means loving your life, living your best life. And it, it can be, it's more inclusive in that way. Mm -hmm. So it's more, um, you know, what if people are going to that concert or that nightclub or that one, they're still loving their life. Yeah, yeah. They might not identify with each other, but they, they identify with what they're doing. Um, and uh, then the other point of that is uh, that works then in Saudi because it's loving your life. And I'm really proud of what how that has manifested itself. We launched there two years ago, two years after Love in Dubai. And it, and I can talk more about it, but there's a, there are people over there who most of the country are loving their life at the moment. Okay, so if I was six years old and I, my, one of my kids at six years old was sat here, and I said to them, go find out what Rich does. Yeah. And she, she said to you, what is it you do, Rich? How would you describe what you do to a six-year-old? Um, <laughs> my nieces are younger than that, so I haven't, I haven't had to explain it yet. Uh, six-year-old, I was six when my, my dad died, actually, and uh, I kind of just knew what he did. He ran an insurance business. So I would tell them that I, ran, I run a media company. Okay, what does that mean? Running a media company to a six-year-old? Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're getting into character as well. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so running run a media company is, uh, um, you know, uh, basically Spencer. <laughs> it's like it's like running. I know you like games. I know you like football. It's like running a football club. It's like running. Uh, um, I, I make TV shows, I make shows, I make things that that you watch. Okay, and why do you do that? Um, I do that, I love it, I'm passionate about it, and I do it uh, because it's a vocation, it's a living. It's this a industry, okay, we can go back to being adults now. Okay. <laughs> this industry that, um, that you work in, this whole social media and media world, here in the Middle East, the perception is that it's it's... A, a good few years behind the times with lots of things compared to the US or the UK. And there's some things that I consider and I'm like, yeah, you've got a good point there. But there's other things I think, is it is it really? What do, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? I think you were being in the business that you're in, I'm sure that you don't think it's so far behind. Um, it, um, in terms of media and social media, is that... Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I think there's two ways of looking at this. One is numbers and percentage and spend. And why is something behind? Because of expertise. And okay, there might be infrastructure, but if the infrastructure is there in this area, if the social media is there, and if the now five G is there, then why would it be behind? Uh, and you know, I always kind of relate that to when I moved from Ireland to England. Uh, the average digital spend on every marketing budget was 10% in Ireland and 20, 25% in the UK. There's $600 billion spent on marketing services globally. In the US, the percentage of the 200 billion in the US is about 30 plus percent 
on digital. Mm. In this region, it's about 15, 20%. Why is that? For me, it's down to expertise. There are more graduates and people working in digital in the US. Mm -hmm. So there's more people to persuade. There's more people to educate. Mm -hmm. If that's basically, I don't think we're behind. I don't think we're behind at all. I don't think it catches up because what if the same amount of people ever work in digital? You know, you can look down at the other side and you can go, well, uh, people are incentivized to spend on TV. People are this or people are that or people don't understand it. Maybe, but if you've got the skill sets and if you've got the industry and you, I think you can apply that to any industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's how do, how do you know trends are going to happen? How do you know blockchain is going to be big here? Mm-hmm. Because the, look at the investment numbers, look at the skill set, look at the brain power, look at the vision of the leadership in this country. It's a sure thing. That how do things happen? Spend, investment, energy, passion, money or time. Okay, makes sense. Is TV dead? Absolutely not. Is it dying? Absolutely not. <laughs> Do you think it is? Um, well, you, you're an expert and I'm not on this subject, but I, my wife went away on vacation in the summer uh, for three weeks and I was here working. And when she got back after three weeks, I went into the, the, whatever it was she'd done back a day. The following evening, she was sat in the room that we have in the house with the TV. And I walked into the room to sit down with her and I realized I hadn't been in the room for three weeks. And it was a real kind of like moment for me. I'm like, I've not, I've not sat down and watched television for three weeks. Mm. What have I done? I, I clearly only watch television with her. Mm. And so then you have the stories of, you know, are we consuming uh, Netflix on our laptops? Are we consuming content in another way and another, you know, f- product? Yeah. And I just think that, do we use traditional TV as much as we used to? Yeah. And here in the Middle East, English channels don't seem to be really that good and providing that much content mm. that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think when I say no, I mean, definitely the mobile phone has taken over in terms of a device and media consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we spoke before and you listened to a lot of podcasts in those three weeks and things like that. Um, when I say of TV, the TV device is interesting because I think it's definitely got a place in the room. And I think the problem now is what's on it isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's on it is is changing. The, the OTT is over the top. The change of satellite to connected TV cord cutting is massive. And, uh, you know, in the US, there's 90 million households that have a subscription to an OTT service, uh, there's about 30 of them. Uh, and now all the big guys are launching more, like Disney Plus looks amazing. Apple launched in this region a week ago. Uh, the, the, they said a year ago that there was going to, there's only eight OTT providers in this region. That's all there's room for. Uh, you know, Shad Plus, uh, Netflix and Stars Play have a million subscribers each. There's four million subscribers. Yes, they watch them on different devices, but the TVs here, yeah, we don't have a great OS systems for all these apps. So we don't have a uh, brilliant, uh, we don't have Roku here, for example. Mm-hmm. And if I want to watch a really good OTT service, I kind of have to watch it on my iPad. Um, I kind of have to watch because the app isn't ready on my TV. I, I'm subscribed to about five services and only Netflix is on my TV. But I would, of course, I would watch 
you know, I tried to watch Succession on Wavo. I can't watch it on my TV. But if I was paying the same amount and my cord was cut and I didn't have to do bundle and it was true an app, of course I watch it. Like we, and then apply that to uh, how people are consuming sport. You know, um, before, like if we come from the UK and Ireland or in the US, you get Sky and you complain that you have to get BT and extra to watch all the football. Uh, but now it's changing. It's, it's some of it is on Sky Sport, uh, Facebook, but some of it, you know, how, how are people going to watch the golf? here in a month, the GP World Tour, um, there isn't really a way. And because they lost their contract, like how do people, or it changed, how do people watch the Joshua Ruiz fight in Saudi, DANZ, the new network, all OTT based, no satellites. And that changes a lot of things. So I think, um, and also a second point is, people will think that, okay, fine, but I'm still glued to my feed. And Facebook is still really big and Instagram, yes, but the feed is great, but it's not everything. And when people discover something, you mentioned a few podcasts you listened to that I didn't, didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about them because there's no feeds for podcasts. Discovery is difficult. Mm-hmm. There's no feed for Netflix, only the header at the top. The only way we learn about it is through word of mouth or, or, any, or, or through Love in Dubai writing articles about it, but <laughs> so she can plug there, really bad. <laughs> Shit, delete that bit. <laughs> really bad. No, but I think that that kind of refers to, I like how media companies in the US write about the lists because it identifies the problem of discovery. People say they have too much content. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk and the 4Ds in VaynerMedia do, describe this really well in it, what they call skim, uh, skim versus dive content. Skim is all about the feed, clickbait, bright colors, put the the clips you do of your podcast, that's skim. You're doing that because you want the dive. If someone listens to your podcast, they will uh, get the contacts, context. They'll get the... It's almost it like a trailer, isn't it? It's a trailer on your Instagram. For your one-minute micro is your trailer. That's your skim, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. To but, get them to go for the dive. Yeah. Yeah. And the dive is is the most important part. And that's the answer to the question. Is TV dead the dive part, of course it's not dead. Look at the documentaries that you've seen on your iPads uh, on these OTT platforms, they're incredible. The content that's happening now, the TV-like content is incredible. What, what's a little bit broken is the software, the apps can't fit on these TVs and the programming and the brilliant stuff is now on OTT. It's not on BBC per se, you know, it's not on Free For Air, Free For View. It's not as good because all the funds are going into um, the, you know, how much are Netflix spending? Billions. Do you find social media frustrating or fascinating? Uh, fascinating. Yeah? Yeah. And what about it do you find fascinating? I, I, oh, it's media consumption. It's, uh, I find it fascinating how, how people behave and communicate. Uh, I find, it, I love, I'm not very technical, but I love uh, how they evolve so fast over time and kind of break the rules a lot. Uh, it's a fascinating space. Um, you know, the, the whole media industry, social media really drives it. You know, what the big social media networks are doing is fascinating. What What's happening on TikTok now is fascinating. I was just about to ask you about TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Blows my mind. Yeah, are you on it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, it, my, my daughter got onto it, but my youngest daughter got onto it about <clears throat> a year ago. And so she started showing me these videos that she'd made. Um, and I'm like, this is amazing. What's this? And TikTok back then, 
she was telling me about something that I thought was only for kind of like her world. Anyway, I did my research, got my account opened up, and I got a message from her saying, why? <laughs> that's yeah. that's my place, Dad. TikTok is where I belong. It's the only place I am where you're not. Anyway, then I put her on, I actually put her on my podcast, my youngest, to talk to her about TikTok and Facebook. Very good. And she said, very much she's 17, she said to me, I don't use Facebook. I was like, why? She said, because it's really complicated. Oh, and that was really interesting for me because if anyone's got the TikTok account and you start producing content on TikTok with your lip syncing and, and all yeah, the, yeah. the stuff that goes with it and all the things you can do to edit around it very, very quickly. To me, that's way more complicated than using something like Facebook. Mm. But for her, it was just like, yeah, but that's where old people go. Yeah, interesting. And, and then you've got my parents in their mid-70s. My mum is on Facebook and Instagram all the time. Um, my dad goes on to Facebook and Instagram to post inappropriate comments that he doesn't really know what he's doing. But the fact that they're using that kind of stuff a lot, I, I find it really interesting to learn about people's behavior. Yeah. Um, and how, how you know, we know about the, the, the common thing about TikTok is everyone was saying for Instagram, Facebook and everything else, it's for kids. And then it came of age. And TikTok's now, it's for kids and it will come of age. And with 500 million users on it in such a short period of time, we've seen other things come and go. We've seen almost the kind of like the, the influence and then the IPO and then the lack of influence that Snap has had to some mm. degree. And you, you would be forgiven for arguing that it's potentially dying. Mm. You know, you'd be forgiven. Of course, there's value in there, but you'd be forgiven because we're not talking about it like we used to no um and the, but but tiktok's now the thing that's the kind of that's being discussed yeah so and then if you go back and you look at the vines and all these you know these other ones that were out there that kind of came and went i i look at tiktok and i think it's the it's the only social media platform that i've seen in recent time that i think actually is a threat i don't know who it's a threat to and to how much but it feels like it's an attention threat Hmm. What do you think? It's successful. The numbers speak for themselves. The amount of downloads. Uh, Facebook launched Lazo, a competitor, and it has 500,000 downloads, mostly in Mexico, and 70 million downloads in the US on, in last, this year alone on, on TikTok. It's a, it's a threat. The narratives around TikTok are like, you know, Twitter had a narrative around it. Snapchat did. A, a kind of a mass world narrative. The narrative, interesting how you tell the story, they say on TikTok in the US, like uh, they would would say about Snapchat, is it's for awkward dads or whatever, right? Like that's that's the bad part of TikTok. That's why I don't go on it. Like uh, the only content there is uh, cringe stuff, right? They don't say sexting. They don't say anything else. They say cringe stuff. Um, so people don't try it because it's just cringe content. People who try it go, it's obviously not cringe content. It's fun. It's lip sync and all that. So that's one narrative. The other narrative and why how the US are trying to. Uh, they feel the threat. They're pretending and saying it's China, it's surveillance. That's what they want to do to keep them out. Zuckerberg thinks it's a threat, he can't buy it. He tries. So they now peddle this narrative around surveillance. Like all of them, like the surveillance on one and not the other. Like whatever. They're, they're all identical. Yeah. <laughs> They've all got the same terms and conditions. Yeah, they're all, good point. Like They're all the same in one way. And, you know, what I think of it is, yeah, it's an evolution of behavior. Stories were an evolution of behavior. It, 
And then what's, if it's all the same behavior, like all TV and radio, then what keeps it ahead? What keeps MTV ahead? What keeps Love in Dubai ahead? What's your moat? What's the innovation? If the behavior is changing all the time, why isn't Facebook cool? If you ten, if your daughter was 17 in 2005, she'd be on Facebook. So what keeps it cool? Like it, it's the innovation, it's the engineers, it's the keeping up with trends. It's the, that type of thing. Snap's very interesting. It doesn't have a mission and vision. He doesn't want to do it the same way with Facebook. Facebook. But why, what I think of TikTok, I still think they have a lot of work to do on brand. They've done huge acquisition. They were the highest spenders on Snapchat. Yes, they get downloads, but really, I don't think the brand is strong enough. It's called something else. By yeah. dance in, in China, it's, it, I don't think the brand's strong enough. Snap and Netflix, for me, are amazing. The brands are so, so powerful. I buy shares in both of them because of the brands. Snapchat, that, that icon... How long did it, you know, marketers for 50 years would say, um, you know, the, the theory behind Shell or Coca-Cola or whatever is never put something out there without the name on it. Because, and then someone said, oh, you were very brave to put your logo out there without the words on there. Yeah, it took 50 years of marketing spent. That's the, that's the spiel you would hear from marketing. Snap, Snapchat, two, three years. Everyone recognizes the ghosts. It's incredible. And like, you know, if, if I'm an investor or something like that, and Netflix, oh, Netflix users are going down. Netflix and chill, the brands, like the Netflix versus Stars play, the, the brand, that the power of it. You know, even Tesla, they have such an edge because of the brand. It's, it hasn't happened overnight, but like it's very, very powerful. And, you know, that's why I think TikTok still have a lot of work to do. Really interesting. And I could talk about this this whole thing for a long time, but <clears throat> you just took me somewhere then. Personal brand, corporate brand, the power of brand. There's not a real estate broker in this town, and there are many, that really value brand the way I think they should. There's not a financial services company in this town or a financial advisory company in this town that get the whole brand thing because they're so heavily focused on generate leads and make sales that they misunderstand the power of pool selling as opposed to push selling. And to me, push selling is when you're going out hunting down people and pool selling is when you build a brand to create trust and credibility. Hmm. You live in this city like I do, so you you experience a lot of this stuff, but you and you're exposed to it probably from a, a different space than I am. Do do you get frustrated when you look at some companies sometimes and you see them just missing the bigger picture? I can understand where it comes from. There's a lot of pressure in in on ROI. Digital has caused that transparency return. There's a lot of kind of people's jobs need to fill hotel rooms, need to get leads and deals and. When you can see step, step, step equals, Google has trained us to get cost per lead, cost per conversion. You, you can you can then allocate it. You can get approval. People know where we stand because a lot of people would sell you the dream on marketing and branding and then not connect it. It's that famous quote of 50% of my advertising works. I don't know which 50, uh, you know, and, and that type of thing. So you know people then go okay i'll spend this on branding i'll never be able to measure it i'll spend this on performance marketing roi i can measure it so they do both everyone kind of a lot of people do both but they they they, they can't really measure this but you can measure it you can and i can feel this like i can i know the work that we've done on love in dubai generates so many inbound leads 
the the brand is strong. It's very strong. And I know that it's stronger than our competitors because I can feel it and see it every day. If I have to report that as a CMO to a CEO and a, and a quarterly earnings profit every month, that's difficult. And that's why, that's why Snap uh, Chat and Twitter's share price suffer because Wall Street doesn't understand what you, you mentioned in a way, uh, but they're strong brands. Like Twitter is a very strong brand. It gets huge impressions. It's referred to everywhere. Every, just, everyone knows what a tweet is. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, do I, the question was: Do I get frustrated or do I? Is it, you're obviously yeah. I understand the whole. Uh, people don't get the value of brand as much as they should. I think. Yeah, I, th I, I don't. I, know. Didn't, I, I think three years ago, four years ago, I don't think I did. Uh, yeah. I think they do. I think I think they're not brave enough, and they I think they uh, don't know how to execute on it, and they don't know how to back it up. And they and even if you go, if you're creating your brand and you kind of go out on it, when you have a bad week or a bad month, you can kind of go, well, I'm not wasting time on that again. I'm going to go down to the ROI stuff and the performance. I'm going to do cold call leads. I'm going to do this, this, and this. So it's it's hard to see it sometimes on the branding side. Uh, and yeah, so it's just, it's hard to measure it. Uh, but brand, and there's other people that think uh, in retail and there's other people <clears throat> that say brands are dying. Like they're saying TV is dying, but they're saying that the brand is dying. Like Scott Galloway says that a lot and things like that, that people don't need brand. I, I completely disagree. And, and even we've created new media brands, but I fully believe in legacy media brands. I really believe in them. Like, you know, if, if you've got a 1930s or 1970s magazine, like there are a few in this town, um, yeah, <laughs> you could, they're great brands. It's their, it's their magazine that it's the, if you evolve that, if you do snap discover section stories, you can connect and evolve that brand. Brands die because they don't evolve, you know, but the brands can be great. Like the branding's very powerful. Uh, like political branding is very powerful. Personal branding is very powerful. Um, and media brands can be very powerful. You know, media is a very tricky world. The influencers, Facebook and Google revenue, like people would think we're crazy to create media brands in this age. There aren't many new ones. Vice is a 1992 media brand. MTV is 1989. Since the social networks, there aren't many new media brands. Mm -hmm. uh, people are afraid of it. They're afraid of looking... Where's the revenue streams? Does that mean that media brands can't be influential? Uh, what magazines do you what do you uh, would you have heard, do you read or what do you read the FT? Do you do you read uh, you know Bloomberg and Forbes and things like that? They they're not dying. They're influential. You know that being on the cover of Forbes still holds something. It's not how many people are consuming, but it's a strong media brand. Mm, Vogue, status, yeah. It? yeah. Vogue, like they're the strong, strong legacy media brands. Yeah, no, I agree with you from that perspective. But, but having said that, and I, I'm really passionate about it, like, you know, we're, we want Smashy TV to be on Emirates Ice besides Bloomberg and MSNBC. How do we do that? We play in that space, that OTT space. But we have to be more than a 1980s cable channel was. Back then it was okay to have, when Fox and when Rupert Murray, when they set up Fox and when they set up Sky, it was okay to do satellite. Now... You, that's not enough and we can compete if they don't evolve if they still do it in the same way if they still don't try and be on cheddar in the u.s who we're you know trying to do an arabic version of that john steinberg the founder there put cheddar 
it's only a 20, 2016 company. He raised 50 million, sold it for 200 million this summer and still growing, growing, growing. They put cheddar everywhere. They can't compete with the fees. There's 200, 2 million, whatever people posting all the time. But if you choose a media brand, if you're flicking through apps somewhere and you see four business brands, MSNBC, Bloomberg, etc., and cheddar comes up, that bright block of cheese and that logo and that studio with no makeup. We're doing a podcast now with no makeup. Are you wearing makeup, Spencer? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? And if we were on Bloomberg, if we were in a studio or in a legacy studio, we'd be sitting 20 meters from each yeah, other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this, this is what TV is. You know, and it's prompter and it's slow and it's tie and it's makeup. That, like, that's not how it works. That's not, you, you can go above influencer and you can go above talking to the camera, but uh, that the, the media's changing, TV's changing. Smashy has a chance of being the, the, you know, if the content's good enough, it has a chance. Uh, we say for the, I didn't finish earlier, the driven, the dreamers and the doers. Smashy's a mindset. The smashy audience, I told an example, would go to Tony Robbins in the Coca-Cola arena during the day, midweek. The Love and Dubai audience would go to Westlife on the Friday night. That's the difference, you know, and we have to get that. I, you know, what, I don't understand smashy. My Arabic isn't good enough, but I still know if it's good or not because I know if they're passionate about it and if they're, if they're talking like your podcast does to the driven, the dreamers and the doers, like that, that mindset, people who do get up early, who uh, aspire to be better, who follow quotes, who like knowledge and podcasts on Instagram, things like that. That's a mindset. If you say, what industry are they in? You, you have many businesses, you coach in many different areas. You also, people say, oh, I'm going to set up a tech media company. Yeah, but what's tech? Like, you know, tech, there are 12,000. How many million people look for the new updates on an iPhone or a Snapchat? Where's the media brand to tell about that? I don't want to say of any media brands, but like, where is it? Where's the brand? Like, we're all into tech. There's, there's the niche kind of experts or whatever, but, but we're all into tech. We all buy a Dyson. We all buy a TV. We all buy a phone. We're all into tech, but like we were all into MTV and Michael Jackson 30 years ago, but where, where's the media brands that, that's telling these stories and how are they telling them? Mm, that's interesting. It's also interesting when you think about it, how uh, it's, almost, it's almost an element of fashion involved, isn't there? We get bored, so we keep having to evolve. And in and, and every other part of our life, that's normal to do so. And when you go back to Smashy compared to, you know, your Ted Turner and the CNN, you know, examples. He's great, Ted Turner. Brilliant book, that one, his book, if you've ever read it. Did you read, did you read uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight? I haven't finished it, embarrassingly. <laughs> Is it good? Should I stick with it? Yeah, man. Well, I, I used to do a lot of work with Nike years ago, oh, so wow. I, I, I know how the journey started. So okay, I suppose that there's a, there's more of a pull, isn't there? Yeah, kind of an interest. Yeah, fair I'm enough. Digress. Start talking about books with you right now. It's not book club, but anyway. Okay. Um, so I have about a hundred thousand followers across different channels. Yeah, you have ten times more than me across your brands. Okay. Yeah. I hate your guts. What are you doing that I'm not doing? Uh, you're, you're building a personal brand. You're, we're building mass uh, populist mainstream media. On my personal brand, on my channels, okay, I, I, on LinkedIn I have a lot or whatever, but when I'm, you know, when I'm talking about my personal brand, I, I align it with Augustus's mission. So 
you know, I'd like to, on this podcast, I'd like to talk about uh, media, right? But my personal brand, if I was doing personal branding in a, in, in a way that you could do on social media, I'd tell my whole life story. I don't. I've never tweeted about politics. I, I have views on politics. I don't tweet about it. I don't, I've never mentioned Donald Trump in a tweet. I don't think I have, but I never have. I don't have views on, like I have views on politics, but I don't mention it. Um, I post sometimes about family and and sport, but really my personal brand is aligned with Augustus. How many people, uh, you know, you have interests, but how many, you're you're in the 1% of, of kind of business people, you know, are, are people in a way, like how many people are really going to be interested in that space? If that's my personal brand, if my personal brand is Rihanna, her personal brand is mass populist. So she has personal brand followers so she can launch on the back of that. So it's about audience space. You know, what's the opportunity for Smashy? You know, 40,000 people go on to Bloomberg every day in the US and it's a billion dollar revenue company. Uh, is that their number? One, one billion. So oh, yeah, users, yeah. 40,000 people are, are watching Bloomberg TV or going on to Bloomberg terminals? Uh, so Terminus is more. Terminus is B two B and it's data, but what consuming the media side is only forty thousand. It's very small. It's CEO shut it's, the front door. Really? Yeah. I think I think maybe they they have a new subscription service. I think it could be more, but they're not the main business channel. Like the MSNBC and the the other channels are bigger. They're not the main. Yeah, business CNB, channel. CNBC yeah. is bigger than Bloomberg, but yeah. the Bloomberg is. Like, because I'm, a, I'm from the financial services back industry, so yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's smaller that's, numbers. It's trusted. Yeah, it is. It, it, they're great brands, and, and they're smaller numbers, and they launched TikTok on Twitter, and those numbers would be a lot higher, a lot higher, because they tell news. That's their real-time news. But so we look at Smashy, and we go, okay, 340 million people across 2022 Arab League countries, 240 million of those are online. A lot of them are under 30. Do those people want to be successful? Will they want to do startup? Will they want to make money? Will they want two jobs and drive careers and things like that? Okay, that's our audience. And to answer your question, I'm not going for the 40,000 people who have corporate jobs or CEOs on Smashy. We're going for that audience. Mm -hmm. And if we succeed, there are numbers. If You know what I mean on Smashy? Yeah, yeah, I get it, yeah. And on the personal brand side, you have a lot of followers. You connect with a lot of people. You can measure further, like... You know, people are, if people listen to this now, uh, say 30, 40 minutes in, uh, that's a lot more connection than a kind of, than a love in Dubai or a like or a thing might get. So you can measure it in different ways. Um, but yeah, but basically why love in Dubai has 1.5 million followers or something and a, a lot of audience is because uh, people like that type of content, like people like watching Friends. It's just, they like it. Yeah, my wife likes watching the Kardashians. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably why I don't go in the TV room. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a couple more questions before we finish. Number one, um, you want to be the biggest at what you do here in this part of the world, okay? Is it is it size or is it is it pride? I, I don't think necessarily. The, the mission says we want to be the new media company of choice. So, I don't, uh, you know, aside from that and between us I say we want to be the biggest media company just to show a bit of ambition and just to believe in the region and to say that you know uh, yeah just to kind of believe in the region like believe in the Middle East in terms of uh, the culture the heritage the economic prosperity and things like that um, and uh, to have a massive goal to be bigger than NBC like you know to be 
that that's just the that's just and then to kind of align that with the 30 40 year plan like it's we didn't raise any money uh it's a bit of family and friends investment but we've never done the vc thing uh you know and and that's very aligned with what we want to do it's ambition uh rather than pride i, I don't think it'd be a failure if we're not the biggest but it's nice to aim high sure do you have a mentor um, I believe in mentors. I think they, they're great. And, and I think you can get a lot out of talking to people in a regular way or if mentors have to be regular. Um, I, I have had people who've been very influential uh, to me in my career. And uh, I have people that I look up to uh, professionally and that I read about, but I don't have uh, uh, someone I call a mentor. Do you have anyone you want to be like? I couldn't be cheesy. I want to be like my dad. Like I'm driven by What's that. Cheesy about that. That is yeah. cool. <laughs> Tell me about your dad. Well, no. Like I, I think, I think, um, I think that that drives me. I think he, he was just a businessman. Like in terms of, uh, I asked my mum the other day. My mum lives with me here in Dubai, and uh, my dad died when he was 48. Uh, he never really travelled. He used to get phobia a bit when he travelled or whatever, and he inherited or he he worked in the office of his dad's tiny little insurance office when he was like 2022 and uh he just built a massive business and he got really into stocks and shares and into other things like racehorses over 28 years in property and uh you know he only married when he was 38 unfortunately he died uh when he had six young kids like nine years later but that sort of i like i like that sort of um that's a lot of what he did, uh, I identify with in terms of work ethic and routine and behavior and uh, how to appreciate family life and how to do things like that. He used to work six days a week and, uh, you know, 12, 13 hours a day and then spend Sunday at home. And that was it every day for 28 years. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I would like to be like. But there's other impressive business people out there for sure. You read about them every week. They're amazing lifestyle is an amazing kind of uh yeah amazing people out there your dad seems pretty cool to me <laughs> he really does okay um and yeah i know you're a bit of sports but you're a triathlete um we were on a chat about this downstairs before we started it takes up a lot of time to be a dedicated entrepreneur uh, and be successful as an entrepreneur because of, as we both know, the highs and lows that go with it, the dramas yeah. that we face, and every other day there's a crisis of some sort that you've got to firefight. Absolutely. Uh, how, do, how do you find the time? Now, I go to the gym every day. Everyone knows that I go to the gym for an hour every day. Yeah. You know, I shove it down people's faces on Instagram <laughs> stories constantly. Okay. Um, but I go in for an hour at five, five o'clock in the morning. Um, being a triathlete is a whole nother level and requires a huge amount of dedication and commitment. How do you find the balance between work and training and and not not pushing yourself too much in one direction rather than another? I, I yeah, I don't know if there is a balance. Like I think it's hard. I agree. Uh, I think it's hard. I think the main way how you keep it up is discipline. Simply, purely discipline. Like just cut things out just cut people out, cut functions out, cut, I cut travel out, I cut friends out. I cut, like, I, I, I don't say I don't drink, but I don't drink and I don't have time for it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I just, I, I cut it out. And even still it gets too much. And then, and then it goes down to priority. Uh, I only, I would love to, and 
you know, I'm working on myself. I'm trying to find ways to uh, be successful at work without kind of being in the trenches and being all in. I do the fitness because I like it. I like the triathlons. I like having goals. I like going to races. It's social. It's good. Uh, and I feel good after it. And I do it for kind of mental health and things like that. But um, but I still burn out. I still, uh, I, I still, you know, you can look after your body, but what's looking after your mind? You know, like uh, I haven't cracked that and I suffer sometimes. Um, I haven't cracked like uh, meditation and things like that. Um, I've had a pretty good run of it over the last three years. Uh, everything's kind of going well and I, I feel I've been able to find a balance, um, but mainly because of because of discipline, because of cutting things out, because of committing to long-term goal, because of understanding of where we are in the journey and uh, sticking to it and moving the goalposts and not caring about judgment and just, uh, yeah, and that's kind of able to be, you know, Jeff Bezos says harmony rather than balance. Um, and I think I identify with that. I think I could sit here for the next couple of hours chatting to you, okay, <laughs> digging into a few areas that we haven't even started yet. But I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Thanks, Rich. Thanks. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks a lot. Up is discipline. Simply, purely discipline, like just cut things out. Well, what an interesting podcast episode this was with Rich. It was so good to learn about, first of all, his journey, where he came from, what he's, what he's learned to do. But he's got some really strong opinions on issues relating to brand and brand building and how different parts of his group of companies apply in different places. It was really interesting to learn. And uh, one, of the, one of the best moments I think that I picked up from this episode was, okay, who's your hero? And uh, I love it. I love it when he talked about his dad. That was, uh, for me, super cool because I have similar feelings. Did you enjoy it? Very good. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, flew by. Thanks a lot for having me on. 